unintentional. Blanks at the line. Hits the first one. That was the key. He didn't go for the ball. He tried to put his arms around the man. That was it. And Nolan Richardson's walking off the Richardson is walking off the court. And Penders is screaming at the official about it. But Nolan can leave anytime he wants, I guess. The Texas Longhorns basketball team and Chris Beard in his first year, they started with big expectations, Kevin, because of all of these transfers that were coming in and Beard's record of success putting together teams at Texas Tech with a lot of transfers. The quality and talent of these transfers hasn't necessarily panned out as promised. However, I guess the thing that I am encouraged by and the through line through the entire season, even with Trey Mitchell, uh, effectively being out on a leave of absence with Texas being perilously thin on the front court, having to look at a bunch of different options because Marcus Carr is an optimal point guard against a team that could defend the ball. The bottom line is Texas has won 21 games in arguably the best conference in America. And while they might not have the amazing ceiling that we'd all hoped, they got a pretty damn high floor. And probably not evidenced any more than the last two games with the win against TCU, where they rallied from 10 down and end up winning, you know, almost sort of going away at the end. And then, of course, with this uh, nail biter at West Virginia, where the West Virginia crowd and, and certainly the officials had seemed to have an interest in the game result. They still gutted it out. What, what are we supposed to make out of this basketball team? I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head that that the ceiling is is not as high as we wanted, but the floor is pretty high, and those are two really good wins. I mean, hell, they're down by 10 against TCU at home, and they're able to turn that. You know, we talked about the TCU and the West Virginia games were must wins because you're not going to count on them going to Lawrence and getting a W, and Baylor just looks like a better basketball team. So, you know, they're doing everything they can, and as you said, they kind of gutted, gutted it out and look, I mean, with Brock Cunningham going out and no Trey Mitchell, thinking, man, they're going to have to go really small against West Virginia. That is a tough place to play. And, yeah, they weren't getting a lot of help. But, man, Timmy Allen was just fantastic. Timmy Allen was good. Marcus Carr, uh, you know, hit some big shots on a day that Andrew Jones wasn't really shooting the ball well. So you limit the lineup. Uh, also, how about Chase Febris, who came in, and we've been waiting – a chase Jace Febris, uh, who came in and hit four threes. You know, I I felt all along that he's got the purest stroke. Now he certainly was not hitting this year, but for him to come in, that that was really needed. I think that's right. Yeah, I I mean, look, I don't know if Beard wanted to play Jace Febris because he doesn't do some things that Beard wants him to do. But now it's sort of like, hey, we got to look down the end of the bench and just get bodies in there, and Jace can stroke it when he's feeling it. Uh, the, the issue is getting him to not turn it over, getting him to run, right? Instead of just standing on the three-point line, he's got to work and, and help create some movement and motion in the offense. And then he's got to defend on yeah. the other end. Right. And so right. If, if he can drill some threes and just be acceptable in those other areas, he could be an asset to this team. I, like you, I, I think this team is high floor, not necessarily their, – their floor isn't much higher than their ceiling, right? Yeah. Uh, I should say their ceiling's not no. much higher than their floor. Right. And so that I, I'm a little, I'm not optimistic about Baylor versus Kansas. I think they'll compete, you know, to the best of their ability in both games. I don't expect to win either. So you're right. These, these two wins were absolutely essential uh, for, for sort of tournament placement and jostling and seeding. 
you know, Texas can still, obviously the tournament could play a role in this. You know, do you go out early, et cetera? I'm talking about the uh, Big 12 tournament. But ultimately, this could still be a four seed. And, uh, you know, that's that's pretty good if you just look objectively of the reality. You know, forget what the, the, the team was promised or hoped to be. Look at the reality of the players that Beard has on the court. And them being a four seed, I I mean, honestly, I think Shaka Smart would be on the bubble right now. Yeah, I uh, look, I mean, Shaka had gotten things together a little bit with Marquette earlier this year, and that seemed to be a better fit for him. But I'm totally with you on that. Uh, I mean, look, the worry about Beard coming here all along was offense, and I, I don't think that's necessarily going to go away. But, yeah, I think for the most part he's done a pretty good job with this team, especially with Trey Mitchell being out and Marcus Carr not always being the right fit. For them, it's going to be, yeah, they could be a four seed. I'd rather be a five seed and have better matchups, though. I mean, really it's going to come down to matchups for them. It, it is, yeah. I mean, this is this is setting up. And, and unfortunately, Texas basketball fans, you know, basketball is not the primary – if you will, of, of Texas fans, generally speaking, there's some really knowledgeable Texas basketball fans. But the, you know, I say as a group, not as educated to say the Kansas Jayhawks or Kentucky Wildcats, right? No, no. And I think there's a tendency that they don't understand that limited teams, no matter how high they're seated, it's really a matter of the draw. And if they get the classic 13 seed or even the classic 12 which is a mid-major with the senior guards who are grizzled veterans who can all shoot threes, they can get hot, and then they've got a, a big, you know, big front line. Not even necessarily talented, just big and physical, right? Can kind of wear you down. That's a real bad matchup for Texas. What what Texas wants as their 12 or 13 matchup is a disappointing big conference. P5, you know, old school P5, if you want to talk about that way. You want the disappointing last team into the tournament, big, you know, conference team from the ACC, right? Yeah. No, that's, exa they're, that's exactly they're not what you want. They're not tough. They're not, they're not going to, you know, they don't have that sort of cohesion and, and they can be off and on again, right? And I'd take the ACC. I mean, the ACC is down this year. Uh, so, yeah, I would love to see one of those teams slip in and see Texas get that matchup. But, all in all, uh, was really happy and proud that they, you know, gutted out two wins and two wins you had to have. And now we'll just kind of see, you know, we'll see exactly what what Baylor brings to the drum. Last game at the drum, man. It's it's weird nostalgia because we, I think, growing up here, we always knew it was not an optimal uh, basketball arena. And, and obviously there's concerts and wrestling and all types of other uh, stuff that was going on there. But for basketball, they've done everything they can to try and dress this pig up, but it's time for a change. With that said, lots of memories in our lifetime there. Yeah, I mean, uh, do you remember your first ice capades there, Kevin? Uh, I do. Now, performing or going? <laughs> Because it, when you and Brian Boitano did that <clears throat> sultry uh, skate dance to Sade. Yeah, I know. I And I can't believe he got me to wear the skirt, but I, but I did. Well, we know who the alpha was in that relationship. <laughs> yeah, uh, man, I've got great memories. I don't know. So I'm a little older than you, but I, I got to see if this was like a thing for, for you. Because other Austin people, I wrote an article about it on Inside Texas, and I got a ton of private messages and texts from Austin people laughing at the nostalgia of it. But when the Frank Irwin Center came, by the way, in 1977, 
oh, that was like modern state-of-the-art architecture. And this this was an announcement that Austin was a big city. Yeah. Like people don't realize, I mean, Austin obviously has always had a great musical history and festivals and, you know, outdoor performance venues. But in terms of like the big concerts, if you wanted to get Van Halen, if you wanted to get Metallica, if you wanted to get Prince, you had to drive to San Antonio, man. Like people don't realize they, they think Austin was always this big city. Uh, it was a sleepy town. I was laughing because, I mean, when I was a kid, it was a big deal to go to the Hyatt and, and ride the uh, Florida glass uh, elevators. Oh, I love that. I love that as a kid. Good fajitas, too. That, that's the other thing. The best fajitas in Austin were at the Hyatt. Right. I mean, hey, if I wasn't going to Magic Time Machine for my birthday, I was heading there. Oh, Magic Time Machine. Yeah. But the other thing I always look forward to is when we'd be driving on I-35, I always anticipated looking at the scroll for the Irwin Center of saying who was coming. Yeah. Because it would say January 25th, Dokken, January 28th, the Harlem Globetrotters. And if it was the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, between the ages of five and 12, I would lose my shit with excitement because the Harlem Globetrotters was like the greatest thing that you can see when you're a little boy uh, of that era. I remember the same thing. I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, I want to go to that. You know, you'd see WWF or, uh, yeah, I, I used to always love that. It, it, it made... It made this small city feel big. Well, when my, my older sister uh, was in high school, when she wanted to go shop for good clothes, right, they had to drive to San Antonio. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a thing. Now, I was a boy, so they, you prob- took my ass to, <laughs> they took my ass to Bell's, right. Dillard's, and Mervyn's, yeah. right? By the way, they probably should have drove to Dallas, but yeah, I get you. <laughs> Well, we were middle class. <laughs> hey, we, we were too. We, we didn't. We, we didn't drive to San Antonio. Was, yeah, we couldn't afford what was being sold at Dallas. We couldn't go to uh, <laughs> Neiman Marcus, Needless Markup. We had to go to what was it, Marshalls in San Antonio? But oh, yeah. that's the girl treatment. The boys, they were like, uh, "We'll we'll go get to the discount rack at Bell's and Dillard's. That's what you'll get for back to school." No doubt. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't even go back to school shopping. I remember kids would do that. My my mom was like, "No, you get you have clothes. You don't need new clothes. You're fine." Well, I uh, I got a bunch of um, "Where's the flood?" comments one time after the summer when I came in my jeans, which were about three inches too high uh, and no longer fit, and I basically had to go beg, uh, "Can I please get jeans that fit me?" <laughs> and my dad did the. Uh, yeah, I can, you know, go to Academy Surplus. They've got perfectly good jeans there for $15. You can get three pair. And I'm just like, oh, God, help me. <laughs> and my mom behind him was like mouthing like, we'll talk later. Right. Don't ask your dad. Did, did <laughs> so, you- yeah, getting, getting, uh, so we ended up compromising on Lee jeans. That was the compromise. And uh, that was very humiliating to go to school at that age wearing Lee jeans instead of Levi's. Uh, it was all about the brand. Hey, did you uh, go to Payless? Oh, yeah. That's where we got all our shoes. That's where we got our shoes, too, man. And got kids in Westlake with brand-new Nikes, and uh, I'm wearing the Jikes or whatever they were. Well, the, the socioeconomic change in Austin, it's difficult to describe to people in that Austin was a very middle-class town. Very much and, so. And it, it got wealthy. You know, it, it got rich. And, you know, good, you know, more power to those people. But, you know, the, the neighborhoods that we grew up in Westlake or Northwest Hills, 
that has a more of a cachet now than it did back then. Uh, <laughs> no doubt. You didn't have to be wealthy to live in Westlake when Kevin was was uh, was frequenting that area. No, my my dad bought a house there in 1980, and we lived up north, lived uh, uh, near Anderson Mill. And I, you know, I won't give the the number here, but it it was it blew me away. I I don't think you could rent an apartment for that in Westlake now. Well, I I remember distinctly in my um, late 20s going to my dad, who's an English professor at UT, which which has a lot more prestige than earning power, particularly back then, <laughs> right. let me assure you. Uh, the inflation of college tuition and, and thus the inflation of what you know administrators and professors get paid, that had not hit uh, my dad's time. And I remember telling him what I was making as a, a sales guy in, in biotech. And he was, you know, more power to my dad and demonstrates his character. He was tickled and that he went and got his W-2 and showed me what he'd made his last year as a professor. And I was making more. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it made me understand uh, the, his cheapness <laughs> at a different level. <laughs> uh, but it also uh, it gave me a, a new understanding of what it was to, to raise a family of five on, on that salary. Right. And, and why we were always driving for our holidays and why, you know, if we all went out to eat, it was like a huge deal. And my dad was like, Oh God, like, you know, I mean, looks like every now and then, you know, so not every now and then, but people now, including me now, you order out or you pick up from a restaurant or you get Uber eats what four times a week now. Yeah. Right? A lot. I mean, when we went out to eat, that was a big freaking deal. And you like would go put on nice clothes and like a button down. <laughs> and, and when we were all walking out to get in the Buick Park Avenue, if a neighbor was out, my mom would be like, we're going to the Hyatt to eat fajitas. And the neighbor <laughs> would be like, oh. Whoa, big shots. Whoa. You guys came into some money. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the good old days. Yep, Austin's really changed. And it's funny because the, I mean, West Austin, that was always old money. Yes, and that that really hasn't changed. I mean, you still see some of the houses there, but some of the new money areas in Westlake has been that for a little while. But I mean, there are other. I mean, hell, Lake Travis. Think well, about you and I've said before. If you met someone from Lake Travis in when we were in school, you're like, "There's people that live at Lake Travis. Like, what do you what do you do? Yeah, like, what do you do you do you have a river tugboat or something? Like, what do you do? How do you earn a living? Do you like, have what, do you have indoor plumbing? Yeah, what are you doing out there? <laughs> and now it's that you know one of the toniest um, elite neighborhoods of, of you know not just Texas, but you know people know it nationally, right? So it, yeah, it's an interesting change. And the Irwin Center was a part of it. And and yes, the Irwin Center was never an ideal venue. But the truth is, when Texas fans did fill up the stands there, it was it was a great environment. I, I saw some great basketball games there, and really raucous crowds that got into it. Penders. You know, he gets made fun of a lot, rightfully. Uh, but man, Texas needed him when he came and making basketball fun again. Yeah, Weltlick was so boring, and in the game, you know, their their product showed that. But yeah, no, that that that's a misnomer, and it's just people that really, honestly, don't know what they're talking about. I've been in I've been in a lot of different basketball environments. When that place was full and rocking, it was a really tough place. Obviously, the Stroll and Nolan game in 90, but also in 90 and in 95, some of the best environments I've seen there were regionals. 
And 90 was fantastic, man. I mean, 90 was when college basketball was still really, really damn good, too. So you'd have 11 seeds that had two or three NBA guys on on their club. And saw a, and 95 was great, too. That was when Arkansas came in, defending national champions. They take on Texas Southern. That game went to double or triple overtime. And, I mean, every that place was so pro-Texas Southern. Then they take on Syracuse and the Lawrence Moton timeout, a la Chris Weber. Uh, you know, it, it, just some great, great atmospheres. And, and also, obviously, some Texas games, too. I mean, once Barnes came in and you've got the TJ, the Aldridge, and then obviously KD, um, you know, it, it was never going to be – Cameron indoor, but it, it had a pretty good feel to it. Well, I, w- I was at the Stroll and Nolan game with my dad. I was too. As as bitter a defeat as I've ever felt in any sport. Oh God, we're because we're rocking them, man. And at the time, I remember being upset they didn't tee him up, but thinking, well, it's not going to matter. I didn't, and and the worst is like the most reliable, best most lovable dude on the team, Travis Mays. Didn't he miss a couple of free throws? Yeah, and so did Lance Blanks. And I, yep. I've i never let Lance forget that. Uh, yeah, no, Lance missed a couple, and to ice it down, then Lee Mayberry hits that, I forgot what it was, 40-footer. She just turns around and flicks it in. And then Mike Anderson, of all people, who ended up being coach at Arkansas, was at Missouri, I believe. He goes to, uh, to go retrieve uh, – or someone went to go retrieve him, but Anderson would have taken over, and then Nolan coming back, man. I, I don't remember someone getting booed like that. And oh, there was hate. It oh, really man. was. It's, people lost their shit, and the refs just let Nolan con- like let Nolan Richardson control them. It was just it was bizarre. I've never seen anything like that. Man, you know, God, Todd Day was so good. He was so he was smooth, so good, so and- smooth. So smooth. And those Arkansas teams were so deep. They went a legit 10 deep. And I know people say that all the time. No, no. I mean, they they ran a, a rotation to play 10 guys. Yeah. And the number nine guy would be would have like a very specific skill set that was outstanding, even if he had deficiencies elsewhere. And they could just play matchups and they would just wear you down. That 40 minutes of hell, there was a period there where Arkansas was just – uh, uh, just absolutely terrific at basketball. And boy, they were imposing. They had some players. And uh, man, you're right. You just, you don't see college basketball like that anymore. As good as that 90 team in that 89-90 run with Day, uh, Mayberry, and, and Oliver Miller, man, the 94-95 squads, uh, they were they were sick how good they were. I remember, remember Dwight Stewart? Chubby Dwight oh, yeah. Stewart, who's flicking in threes at Clint McDaniel, Corey Beck, Scotty Thurman, Corliss Williamson, Lee Higgins, uh, Darnell Robinson, I believe. God, they were good. They were damn good. And, man, they, they had, like, every body type. Do you they, remember that? Yes, they absolutely did. No, they had an the Eastern made- European dude, number 22. I forgot his name who could play. Yes. They, they had a couple of dudes that made Larry Johnson look like Reggie Miller. Yeah. <laughs> And then they'd have like a 6'11 guy who was long. And like, they, it was almost like the Detroit Pistons of the 80s, right? Good comp. The, the Pistons had like a specific body type and a specific type of player for every matchup. And that was Arkansas. Yeah. No, they did. It was, it, it was not the type of bodies you'd create 
if you're creating a video game. But, man, they all came together, and they all worked well. But, yeah, some great Texas teams. Obviously, 90 it will, I think, has a special place in our heart, BMW. We don't talk about Courtney Jeans, the J in that enough. Um, and, look, the reality is is that Texas basketball, they have have risen through the ranks of all-time programs more than the other two in our lifetime. Now, baseball was one probably to begin with for us, so they've stayed there. Uh, football's probably stayed around the same spot. But if you look at college basketball, and if you do it objectively, you know they've jumped up a lot all-time because of, of how much they've been winning and really getting to the tournament. Yeah, I mean, Shaka Smart accepted. Texas has played really good basketball since since I sort of came to basketball fandom awareness. And uh, the drum was a big part of it. I can't, I don't, I have some nostalgia around it. I think that we're moving on to better, bigger and better things. But uh, yeah, I, I can remember as a kid just being so excited to read the scroll of who was coming and what events were coming. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's, Simpler times. I mean, holy shit, man. I, I was joking on the thread about this I made on Inside Texas about, I remember I lost sleep the evening before I went to go see Ralph the Swimming Pig at Aquarina Springs. <laughs> <laughs> you just couldn't contain the excitement, the anticipation? <laughs> yeah, I was so excited to see a freaking pig swim under a glass bottom boat. I, I you know, we, we were, you know, we liked... Austin, you like to think you were the sophisticated part of Texas, but, you know, we weren't exactly New York City. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, it was simpler times and definitely uh, a simple city at that point, and it's it's changed. But, yeah, the Irwin Center will always always be a part of it, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bye-bye now. Yeah, look, it, it's going to be a better move. The reality is, is that is that you were just never going to be able to fill – that thing up for a majority of the games. And that's depending on who's coming in, depending on how good Texas is. But that was always going to be always going to be a problem. I did always like the or was curious about the perv who was when when it was half full was at the very top row in the upper deck and probably had a trench coat on. Well, you got to clue me in on this. What's that? I mean, anytime, anytime I was at a game there and, and, you know, there's plenty of, of seats available in the, in the lower tier, or, I mean, I, I sat in the upper deck a bunch, especially as a kid, but at the very, very top, and there's one guy who's sitting there by himself, like what's going on in his life? That guy is a wandering mercenary, uh, some sort of Kane from Kung Fu type character, just wandering around, right? getting into adventures. Who knows what he was doing there? He might have been a Highlander. <laughs> I hope he's not coaching Little League. No. Yeah, there's there always that guy. That's true. Oh, man. Um, yeah. All right. Well, nostalgia has made me soft and weak such that I'm going to ask you some baseball questions, Kevin, because... The Texas Longhorn baseball team, 7-0 right now. They're, they're battling Bama right now for the sweep as we're recording this. And uh, I have some questions that I want you to help educate me and, and hopefully some of our listening audience on our batting order. Okay. Are and you, are you feeling okay? Time. Yeah, I know. I have a little fever. I don't okay. know what's going on. All right. Now let's go. I, I'm all – you know I'm in. All right. 
So let's pretend Eric Eric Kennedy actually I think pulled something. He's out of the lineup. Let's just let's look at the lineup with him in because he is going to be in the lineup as soon as he heals up. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a back though, so that, that always worries me. Yeah, that's not good. Well, right now we've got Doug Hodo as the leadoff guy. Yep, classic leadoff man. I I get that. Next is Eric Kennedy. Makes sense as the number two, right? He's uh, fast. He's He's uh, a guy who's good with the bat, right? He's a great, uh, he's a great bunner, and they and I one of the things I really like about Pierce. I mean, I think he's taken what Augie does, but doesn't do it as much. I mean, it, it's actually what I would do. I mean, it, it's ideal for for people like me that want to use the small ball and understand how important it is to get up in a college baseball game. But if it's four nothing, uh, you don't necessarily to be you know laying it down. Now, if it's four nothing and guys on first and second, and you've got a guy up there who doesn't have a big bat, hey, uh, go ahead and put it down, and let's see if we can't get a sack fly to, to tack on. If it's Ivan Melendez, probably let him swing away. That's where this lineup gets interesting, and that's where I want your wisdom. <clears throat> Melendez is batting third. So the typical wisdom in batting order is that your number three hitter is supposed to be the best all-around hitter on the team. Not just average, but power. Yeah, that, that was always old-school philosophy. Okay, so that's old-school philosophy. Ivan Melendez could certainly fit that bill, but here's what's interesting. Number four is second baseman Mitchell Daly. Typically, your number four hitter is, is the cleanup hitter, right? He's the power hitter. Um, and he is supposed to basically drive in the, the prior three runners and also protect the number three hitter. So talk to me about Mitchell Daly. I, I'm, I'm going to ignore the fact that he's batting like 182 right now. But he is a light-hitting a light hitting guy who seems to be able to make contact. Is that how you'd construct this lineup? It's a great question. And this is where you can go new school, old school. I mean, new school would, be, would not have as big an issue. Obviously, if you're looking at it back in the day, you'd say, like you said, your best pure hitter. And I'm not sure who that is. I'm not sure if that is Mitchell Daly. Um, and I, I don't think they have like an old school number three guy that would obviously he's going to hit 380 and, and he's going to be your guy. And then you have your best, best power guy hitting cleanup to protect him a little bit. I think that, I, I think first off, this could be pretty fluid and I don't know what the right answer is. I, I don't know how exactly I would mess around with this lineup. I mean, if Austin Todd really starts to come around, maybe you bat Austin Todd at the three spot and then put Melendez at four and then, or put Todd at four and keep Melendez at three. You're obviously wanting to get Melendez as many pitches as possible. Mm-hmm. And obviously because he, he's a guy, he, he's got two swings in his bat that could be six or seven runs. So that might inter. So I'm glad you mentioned Austin Todd, right? Because he could elevate himself. That could change the whole complexion of the lineup. The other guy is Silas Ardoin, who, mm-hmm. Very early returns, but he's seeing and hitting the ball well. He's he's got some natural power, and he's batting fifth. Typically, fifth is where you put a power hitter, but who isn't as effective as your three and four, right? Right. Yeah. No, you're right about is, that. Is there a way he could elevate to the four hitter? Yeah, absolutely. I think right now you really wanted to get Silas off to a good start offensively, and he's done that. And he's got so many other things to think about running the staff and being behind the plate that 
I would a week, you know, we're only two weeks in. I would keep him there. You know, if you get to a point where you're a month and a half, two months in, and Ardwan is is still hitting 350 like he is right now, then maybe you go ahead and make that move. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't put any added pressure on him. The kid puts enough pressure on himself. I mean, he takes this incredibly seriously, and so you never get a smile, rarely get a smile out of Silas Ardwan. So I've got no problem keeping him right there and just kind of let you know. Don't change it if it's if it's not broken. Do you agree with the conventional baseball wisdom? Like this is real old school baseball of after the fifth hitter, you're now starting over. So your sixth place hitter is like your next lead. It's like your second leadoff. Or do you think that's sort of discredited old school mentality and you just need to formulate the lineup to intermix lefties and righties and then try to drive in runs? Right? I, think it, I think it's old school. I never really bought it in 1989. Um, A lot so- of people still believe it. Yeah, they do. Uh, I, I would say more if you're going to turn it over at the very bottom of your lineup, where you get a where you get maybe a guy who's a poor man's leadoff hitter hitting ninth, and that way you can reset that thing early. So if Doug, if he does get on and he can really run, then all of a sudden you got Doug Hodo up there, and you got Eric Kennedy follow him, where you got three guys that can really cause some issues on the base paths and create some big innings by getting. Two or two or all three of those guys on, and then we get to two, three, and four, and you you know you can really get some separation. We get, it's telling that in obviously non DH leagues, that's the pitcher, right? But in a DH league, it's exactly what you're describing. It's like a it's like a it's like a preemptory leadoff. It's like a double leadoff guy, who's who's supposed to get on base for Hodo and Kennedy, and you almost play a different kind of baseball nine through two where you're trying to advance runners and run and you're being aggressive and, you know, running on a running before the pitch, stuff like that. And then you kind of get into a different type of baseball depending on what's happened from two through five. I mean, that kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, no, it does. And and that's philosophy that I still like. I mean, the problem with all that is that you never know who's going to be leading off. I mean, once you know, once you get through the first inning, it's anyone's guess at that point, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, there are people who argue that because of the way lineups occur in baseball, and because it's staggered, right, and you you never know who's going to go. You just should put all your best hitters one through five, irrespective of their traits. Right, and, and and your best ones maybe even push them up. You know, I talked about the 95 Cal State Fullerton team last week. Mark Kotze, who's one of the best college hitters ever, uh, hit second. And some of that mm-hmm. was because he could handle the bat pretty well, but, you know, get get those guys up in the order because the last thing you want to do is get to the ninth inning and your number two guy is nowhere near as good as your number three guy and there's two outs and your number two guy's up. Well, there's something to be said. Look, everyone wants Ricky Henderson as their leadoff guy, right? I'll, I'll take him. There's something to be said about Ricky Henderson popping a solo homer, right? Yeah. No, I mean, uh, R- Ricky actually led off w- with a lot of home runs. Or Ricky had some power. Yeah, he's your ideal guy because he can fly, but he could also he could also sting you. Yep. Yep. And, so, R- and right, Ricky would tell you about it. Philosophy, thank you for that. That shed some light. That educated me on this. You know what? I hope I, I – you look, I mean, there's differing philosophies, and I'm not sure there's a right one. And we're also in a new age right now where I think 
a lot of the the new philosophies and analytics. I think there's a lot to that, but I don't think it's 100%. Yeah. No, I think – well, and you and I have talked about this a little bit offline. College baseball queers a lot of traditional analytics that have been focused on pro baseball because they're not as good. Yeah. You know, college fielders, particularly in Omaha, you know, I've seen Texas score six junk runs literally off of dudes freaking out and mishandling bunts over and over. Yeah, which is why you should bunt a hell of a lot more in college baseball than you should in pro baseball. And But you're you're right. I mean, some of the, the launch angles that we see at the major league level, to me it's the equivalent of looking at NBA guys who are jacking a bunch of threes, and then you see college guys do that, and they end up going two for 24. Um, if you have that skill set, that's probably the way to go but it's not the way to go for a majority of the people playing the sport. Well, and, and what's weird, though, is it's countervailed by the fact that in college, you know, obviously pitching's not as dominant, particularly as you get deeper into people's bullpens. And then you got fences in some parks. They're 310 yards out. Feet. <laughs> I mean, you want to have a dude who, who may not have a ton of baseball skill or athleticism, but he can jack things over the fence. Right, yeah. Hey, by the way, 310 feet. 310 yards would be quite a shot. <laughs> 310 feet. Thank you for that save. Holy shit. He hit that three base. He, he hit that three football fields. If someone could hit a 930-foot homer, we should sign him for sure. <laughs> uh, Thank yeah. you for, for having my back on that one. All right, well, look, the hitting, I kind of uh, I buried the lead. Texas has a 0.43 staff ERA right now. And I understand they've been paying, playing uh, cold-weather baseball, which keeps the, the ball down and keeps the bats cold. But so far, Texas pitching is looking pretty solid. Yeah, they've looked really good. And, yeah, I mean, look, the weather, honestly, the last three games, and we're doing this during the Sunday game, uh, including the Corpus Christi one-run win when it was freezing there and, and the wind was blowing all over the place. I just want to get wins out of that. I take nothing out of it. And so you just want to get dubs. And they got dubs in all three, but miserable conditions. And if you've never hit in weather like that, you just don't understand. One, you don't want to be there. And everything stings off the bat. I mean, you can hit it you can hit it on the fat part of the bat, and it can still sting you a little bit. If you get jammed, that thing will be ringing for for minutes and it definitely throughout the at bat so it's definitely advantage to the pitchers as long as they can get loose and get warm but because i heard moreland talk about it i mean no one likes to hit in cold weather you just don't yeah i gotta think that guy with his time in chicago has some special insight on that yeah no no i mean he was such a good hitter too but yeah i mean he he played in detroit played in chicago played in philly so he he definitely played, even though he's a Texas guy, definitely played in some in some uh, really bad conditions. You just don't. I, there's no other way to put it than you don't want to be out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, it's more mental. Yeah, you know, I think that's that's got to be part of it. Um, Which is what we, I will take out of those three games is that they were able to to gut it out get through it, and get the dub. That's all we care about. I'm not taking anything out of these games uh, outside of Eric Kennedy couldn't get his back warm or loose. Yeah. Well, you agree, though, that Texas should go undefeated this season? Well, yeah, if they don't, then I think we got to talk about Pierce and kind of the direction that it's going. 
Yeah, I mean, first time there's a series <laughs> where they blow the Saturday game and they only win two out of three, I think – I don't know. I think you got to look at some changes. God, it's crazy. I am looking at their their line or their uh, their stats right now with pitching, and there's only one guy who's got an ERA above 1.80, and that's LeBaron Johnson, who gave up that one run, and honestly has looked really good in the two appearances. I mean, he's got good stuff. So, yeah, that's not going to continue all year long. But right now, the uh, the pitching staff just they're they're kind of taking control, and that's what this program has always been about. And I, I, I think they've got a lot of different options. You know, I did say before the season and did one of those lunches with a bunch of Texas fans, and they asked, well, if there is a worry about this team, what's it going to be? And I said, well, it'll be offense because, I mean, you, you still you look at, even though they're off to really good starts, Kennedy, Ardoin, uh, Faltini, and say, okay, well, just – how complete of an offense is this going to be? And so that's still to be determined. But, hey, just keep on keep on getting dubs, get to the better weather, and the bats should heat up. Well, better weather is coming to Texas. And better weather means houses are starting to move, Kevin. Yes, they and are. And that means you need to line up your financing. And whether you're refining your house to tap into existing equity because of this amazing market run that you've had in Texas real estate, or whether you're moving and buying a house, you need to contact Gabe Winslow. You can reach him at mortgagesbygabe.com or 832-557-1095. Look, Gabe is a little smarter than the average bear. By the way, Kevin, you and I, a few podcasts ago, brought up that expression. We didn't know its origin. Yeah, it's well, Yogi Bear. Oh, is it really? Yes. Okay, you know what? That. Uh, I mean, hell, you get older. I think I may have known that back in the day. That kind of rings a bell, but certainly didn't remember it. And I guess that makes sense, right? Yogi prided himself on being smarter than the average bear. There you go. So in a way, he was actually mocking his bear peers. Yeah, no, he was mocking his own. Well, Gabe is too classy to mock his peers in the mortgage industry, but a little sharper dude than you might encounter typically in that industry. I'll say it for him, although he'll distance himself from that. Uh, Gabe is a Texas graduate. He has a law degree. He's a National Merit Scholar. He's a guy that uh, graduated from Texas in about three years. Uh, very sharp guy. And how does, how does that work for you? Who cares? Well, what it means is when you call into him, he's got a lot more creative financing solutions than the average person. And creative in the sense that they work for you. And uh, not necessarily for him or for the industry. So give Gabe a call. If you can work with really smart, really ethical people in this, it really makes a difference on your bottom line and your experience. 832-557-1095. Kevin, I don't know if you also saw, but in the news recently, a lot of these different um, mortgage companies that are basically automated or they run over the computers and they offer you these cut rate, low rates. Uh, they've been laying off people left and right as mortgage rates have been rising. And although they can certainly offer what seems to be competitive rates, there's more than just a competitive rate. You need to actually perform. You need to have financing when the house is being sold to you. Because if that's not lined up, things go sideways real quickly. And uh, with these companies all cutting back severely in personnel, it is something to keep in mind that uh, having a name and a face and a guy responsible singly and individually for your financing is a huge advantage. Reach Gabe, 832-557-1095. And when you're done with that and you're thinking about moving in the Centex region, contact Laura Baker. You can reach her. She's an elite member of the Andy Allen team from Keller Williams. 
She is at 512-784-0505. That's 512-784-0505. We're going to have another mad rush in Central Texas this year, and it's going to be initiated probably earlier than a lot of people think. Hell, she was busy as heck January and February. Um, recently, I heard a story that there is a development up in Leander. Speaking of places, you and I, when we meet people from a random place in Austin, we're like, people live out there, right? <laughs> well, Leander, they just had some lots go up for, uh, for basically for bid for construction. And 14 lots had 1,400 bids. Jesus, man. So things are not going to change, and you need to have the best pop possible representative on your side. That's Laura Reacher at 512-784-0505. So both my aunt or my aunt and my mom went to Reagan, I guess now Northeast. and But my uncle, who was the youngest, went to Leander and when it just opened. And, I mean, Leander, Leander was the country back then. I mean, I shit you not that they had livestock that was in the high school. Like chicken, yeah, big, chickens big, and everything. Yeah, they had a big FFA program there. Did they really? Yeah, yeah, Future Farmers of America. I didn't know that. Um, Keith certainly was not going to be doing that. He ended up uh, being a comedian at Esther's Follies for like 20 years, so that was not going to be his path. But I remember him saying, like, you would not believe what this high school was like. And and obviously that's completely changed now. And, and Leander is a, uh, it's one of those spots you want to move to. Absolutely. Yeah. Things are changing and uh, always helps to have an Austin native with a lot of experience who can guide you in that process. No doubt about so, it. Hey, let's go. I've you go on baseball. Yeah. You must be in a good mood. I'm in a great mood and I'm able to watch the game right now too, which is cool as we're doing what's, this. What, what's the score? It is 1-1 right now. All right. Well, we gave up a run. Our pitching's already gone to shit. Yeah. See, we talk about it and guess what happens? Hey, uh, let's talk about something that might put a little damper on your mood. Yeah, we, we go from two of our favorite people that are ethically sound, really damn good people in Gabe and Laura, and now we get to talk about this guy, right? Art Bryles. Oh, man. He's back. And uh, it's <laughs> unsurprising that Hugh Jackson, the new head coach at Grambling, a proud FCS program at HBCU, is trying to get back on track after a four and seven year, and they're bringing on Art Bryles as offensive coordinator. Uh, Bryles is 66 years old. He's been out of college football since 2015. What are we supposed to make out of this, Kevin? Well, I hadn't seen him forever, and I guess he's doing his best to, uh, to try and look like Billy Bob Thornton. Have you seen him with his hair? He's, he's not tanned, rested, and ready. <laughs> he does look like Billy Bob. Like, if, if you look at it, I saw it, and I was like, oh, God, what actor is that? And you know me with actors, and I'm like, that's who it is. So, yeah, that, that's maybe the nicest thing that, that I can say. I'm not totally shocked. I guess I'm kind of surprised that it's grambling. I mean, I, I thought someone may jump on board. He's obviously, even at 66, still a really good offensive mind, and he can help out, but – I just don't understand the gamble. I mean, they I, hell, Doug Williams has already said, I'm out. Peace. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of reasons they might do this. Look, the bottom line is Art Bryles is a really good offensive mind. Yeah. And particularly at that FCS level, trying to do a turnaround. I mean, he's a helpful guy to have in the coach's room. And 
that that is a neutral statement about his competency, right? Not about Art Riles, the human being. And I think people may overestimate that. I think playing for him may be a turnoff, but he's got a brand name and he's got a proven track record of putting up big numbers. And I think he may be more of a recruiting benefit than a, a liability. Nuts. Interesting take. Yeah. I mean, he could be. Uh, yeah. I mean, and also, I don't know how much kids right now that are going to be in high school, they're going to be playing, even know about that. Yeah, you know, that's it. And, and then also people were sort of saying, why would he grambling hire Bryles? And it's like, well, they can, because the truth is, and we'll see what happens. You know, the state of Louisiana may have some input on this later from what I'm reading, but when you're an HBCU and the predominant media the blue check marks on Twitter, right? These are the guys saying, don't play football that you and I were mocking. Uh, and then of course the football season goes off flawlessly. Um, and they, they just sort of have these little moral imperatives that are urgent, but they're never based on actual universal principles, right? No, they're just it's based they, on they, their, it's based on their pet cause of the moment. Right. And they, they, it's just always lecturing people is what it is. And, and a lot of what they do is not based on like what's good for the goose is good for the gander, moral imperatives, universal principles. It's social grievance hierarchies. So if you're an HBCU in a weird way, you've got a kind of armor because a lot of these predominantly white blue check mark guys who like to wag their finger at everyone, they don't like to wag their finger at an HBCU. No, no. Yeah, you'd have that to makes them very uncomfortable. Yep. You'd have to you'd have to you'd have to do more than hire Art Briles to to get that. So I guess my thought is everyone of everyone's gonna be negative about it, right? They're gonna grumble, they're gonna mention his history, but you're not gonna see the scorched earth crusade if Briles had been selected as the offensive coordinator at Liberty mm. or Auburn or San Diego State. I think that's an excellent point, and I really hadn't thought about it. But, yeah, I think there's a lot to that, and, and Grambling probably – I mean, I, I would think they probably recognize that. Maybe they didn't. Uh, maybe that'll just be the outcome of it all. But, yeah, I haven't I haven't seen – I've honestly, with, with everything that's going on, I've, I had to stay off Twitter just because it's – uh, but – and that's, I, that's a pretty good guideline, no matter what else, whatever is going on. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. That's uh, that's fair. So I haven't, I haven't really seen what the reaction is, but um, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I, I'm not totally shocked though that he's back. In fact, I thought he would have been back sooner. Well, you know, honestly, not I think saying you're he right. should, but I, I, I think you're right. And but I do think one thing you and I both sort of lament is that people can't turn a page or move on right? And too often in our society, right? They're, they're not allowed to evolve. They're not allowed to grow. They're not allowed to say, oh, you know, holy crap, you know, that was a mistake. I need to move on. And then they have an opportunity at redemption, right? I, I think Bryles is a different case. And I got to credit powerful Joe Cook for, for contributing this thought on the thread that I made about it on Inside Texas. And that's, Bryles has never offered any sort of contrition. Right. And he's never offered even just Hey, you know what? I think I handled that poorly in many ways. I've, I'm, I'm really sorry. He's, and I'm really sorry for anyone that suffered because of my lack of oversight. He's never owned it. He's never owned it. He always distances it. And, and look, he's not directly responsible for what happened. Okay. I, I don't go that I, the people that go down that road, I think are like, that's, there's a performative aspect to that too. But 
early on, if you read that report, there's a woman who reported that she was sexually assaulted by some Baylor football players. And Baylor and Bryle's response was, those are some bad dudes. Why is she hanging out with them? Yeah, I mean, Jesus. Now, <laughs> that's not good <laughs> on many levels. And I, I do think that there is an element, and this has been universal, frankly, to Baylor, not just Bryles, of a, a, a sort of public face and then what they're actually willing to do to win. And I'm talking about not just Dave Bliss, right, and what happened to that basketball program, but even predating him. Uh, and even in football, there's a reason Dave Roberts, as unsuccessful as he was, was nicknamed Dirty Dave Roberts. Chuck Reedy, remember him? Do you remember the class he got in where like half the guys didn't qualify? Yes. The, uh, and, and, the you know, Ben Gays of the world. I mean, Grant Taft, for all of his pretensions, well into the 1980s, would counter-recruit Texas by bringing up the tower shooter, Charles Whitman. Yeah. Neuheisel <laughs> did that, too, in the 90s. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's ambitious. Let's just say that. Well, he wasn't going to so, sell Waco. No, you're not going to sell Waco. Although, yeah, that even that town is feeling the revival, right? Um, but, yeah, anyway, I, I do think on Bryles, I'm not one of these people that, you know, no one can ever be redeemed. You know, if you make mistakes, you, you were blinded by winning over bigger ethical issues. But this has been a consistent thing with Bryles throughout his career. Even people you talk to who followed him at Stephenville, where he was enormously successful, a damn good football coach, one of the early real innovators of the spread. Mm -hmm. and, and in all of its forms, people associate the spread with the passing game. Remember, Bryles was amazing at getting the spread to work for the running game, right? He, he won a bowl game where they just did direct snaps to the, the running back over and over, and the guy rushed, they rushed for like 480 yards. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. No, I mean, he was with Rich Rod, kind of one of those early guys of using the spread to really create creases and lanes with your running game. And so I think the thing is not that people, not that he was present when things go wrong. Look, if you're a coach and you're responsible for 100 young men between the ages of 18 and 22, good freaking luck to you. Because think about how you and I were between the ages of 18 and 22. Yeah. Now, they're not solely responsible for everything, but ultimately the buck does stop with you. And you are responsible for shaping the culture of those programs. And this has just been a consistent thing with Bryles throughout his career. And so when people say, can't we forgive and forget, I think the answer is yes, we should. We should, but, but, but it, 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 there's a couple factors that are at play. One, what's the crime? And yes. rape is 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 right after murder for me. So, you know, you're in the top two there, buddy. So the forgive and forget, it's one, you're going to have to own it, which he hasn't done. And also, how many cases were there? I mean, you know, I'm with you. He's got 100 guys. So if you've got a couple instances, it's not necessarily on him. When you've got that many, that is a culture. And once again, it's one of those top two as human beings that we look at, it's going to take a lot for me to forgive and then forget. Yeah. And then I think the second part is contrition. Right. Owning it. Yeah. Being responsible. I mean, that is true leadership. You know, leadership is saying, hey, whether I'm directly responsible for this or not, that doesn't matter. This is unacceptable. 
and it can't happen anymore. And here are the steps I'm taking to rectify this. Totally agree. And I, it just never felt like it was there. I mean, when, you know, kind of everything that we just put together, Bryles is on the bad end of that. It is one of those top two things in life that you just look and go, man, I, I can never look at you the same. And then number two, he didn't own it. Number three, there were a ton of cases. This was not happenstance. There was a lot of things going on. And But it gets back to now as we're looking at it, what, 10 years you know, after the fact, have you owned it and is there contrition? And none of those things are present, man. Yeah, well, look, this will all be moot. He's 66 years old. And if he had tried a real revival, right, this is an audition for him to, to be forgiven and brought back to FBS, that would have needed to happen 10 years ago, right? I, I think he's too old to have a true second run. But, oh, yeah. You know, he's not having a second run. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. And, um, yeah, there's an, a lot of angles to this, a lot of elements to it that it lays bare some of the hypocrisies you know, not just the obvious hypocrisies of sports and big time sports and all that, but how media treat certain stories, how they perpetuate some and, and, and bury others or how they don't know how to act. You know, for example, when when a, you know, uh, a biological male competes and just crushes a bunch of women in swimming and that runs up against feminism and they don't know how to act. And they, they literally, you know, their minds get blown because they're sort of two sacred cows collide. Right. And he, instead of just covering it objectively and just saying, hey, this is what this means. No, I, it's interesting. I, it's very I, think, interesting. I think you just hit it on the head right there. Hey, let me uh, tell you about David McClellan because he is a fantastic guy and was a multinational champion swimmer at the University of Texas. He is now a fiduciary financial advisor. He's from Forum Financial. He's part of the family here at EGAT. So, He's offering y'all free consultations. We've had people that have taken advantage of it and really were happy they did. He can help you understand your financial freedom number, maybe some things you could be doing a little bit differently to help build your wealth and get to that number just a little bit faster. That's the race that we're all looking at right now. Great guy, really uh, smart and sharp, and will help you out with that free consultation. Give him a shout. It's not going to cost anything and could help you out a lot. 312-933-8823. It is Chicago area code, but it'll work with anyone, anywhere, 312-933-8823, or you can just email them, dmcclellan at forumfin.com. So, Kevin, I read that uh, Austin experienced a record temperature swing not long ago. Oh, my from God. 88 to 32 degrees in 24 hours. That's a record in Central Texas. Have you ever experienced anything like that? What was it like? Uh, it was, it was crazy. Cause I, I was, I was bouncing around all day and was enjoying the 85 that I saw. I mean, I had on my phone, 85 go inside. Were, if I recall, you were wearing capri pants and like a little cutoff top. Yeah. I mean, that's usually my eighties type, uh, uh, clothing, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it's fun, fun, but fun, but formal. Yeah. Fine. Fun, fun, but formal. Uh, and then, and then it just draw I me. Mean, you could, you could feel it blowing in from the North. And, you know, especially when it got like down to the 50s, I thought, holy crap, that happened quickly. And then went inside and came back out and it was in the 30s. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember ever seeing it like that or feel it like that. Yeah, it was nuts, dude. 
Yeah, I've, I've been obviously in Austin when a blue norther blows in and it drops 30 degrees and you think, oh my God, you know, but holy cow, that is unbelievable. Uh, so I looked it up, Loma, Montana, apparently has the world record for greatest uh, temperature swing in 24 hours, 103 degrees. What? Oh, 107. You're kidding they me. It went from like negative 50 something to like 50. Wow. That is, that's, that's nuts, man. So crazy blizzard conditions, just like literally exposing yourself outside. Even if you're bundled up, you can just die to, you know, throwing on jeans and a t-shirt. Nutty stuff. How's, uh, how's San Francisco doing? Same. San Francisco has the same weather, but the only difference in how it feels is the wind, the, the dew point, the humidity, and, uh, you know, what's happening in terms of fog on the ocean. But we've had, yeah, we've had actually a warm run of, of weather. It's been really nice. But, um, yeah, I, I experienced a big temperature fluctuation one time hiking in Peru. I was up in the mountains. And I was like at 14,000 feet hiking in the Cordillas, Cordillas Blancas. And we had a 60, 65 degree temperature shift. Were you chewing, and, on, chewing on those cocoa leaves? I was chewing on cocoa leaves. Absolutely. Yeah, I drank. I drink cocoa tea every morning and then chewed cocoa leaves while I was hiking. Absolutely. Yeah. People don't realize. So actual cocaine to unleash it, you know, the cocaine that we know, some of us know even better <laughs> listeners, uh, you need a chemical process to do that. Right. Yeah. So when you chew on the raw leaves, you get a mild, mild accelerant effect. Um, and it kind of clears your head. I, I, I would, I'm not, I've never smoked or been a smoker, the people that were with me hiking compared it to sort of like the positive impact of nicotine. Okay. Yeah. Kind of. And sort of clears, clears your head, clears your thoughts. You think a little sharper and, and it really helps you with altitude sickness. That's the main reason people do it. Yeah. I've always wondered about that with the cocoa leaves and I, I've seen just, you know, shows where they're chewing on it. I'm like, are they getting really high? I have seen yeah, though. You it, don't, it's don't not get it's, high. You get a, you get a little stimulating effect. It clears your head and it really helps with altitude um, sickness, which is a serious issue. And, uh, it tastes like shit. The leaves taste terrible, but you just get used to it. And yeah, when you take it in cocoa, it's better, especially when it's warm, you know, cause early in the morning up in the mountains, it's, you know, 25 degrees, there's frost everywhere. Uh, and so you need something just to warm up from your tent. But as you're hiking, yeah, you just sit there and pound cocoa leaves and it, it really, really does help. Um, it's not like quat or, you know, cot or any of that kind of stuff that people in the Middle, Middle East chew. And, you know, it's not that it's not that significant or activating. Good stuff, man. All right. We'll talk next week. Have a good one. All right. You too.